Sunday morning, since the beginning of this year, we've been studying through the book of 1 Samuel. We've been going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and the title we've given this series is A Heart for God. You know, it's been said before that each of us are really three different people, right? We're each three different people. Um, I guess a bit schizophrenic, but we're all three different people. Number one, we are the person who we think ourselves to be. Secondly, we are the person who other people think us to be. And thirdly, we are the person who we really actually are before the Lord. And what we really want, right, the goal, the the objective, is that these three people, right, who we think we are, who other people think we are, and who we actually are before God, that they would be one in the same. That That is the very definition of integrity. That's what integrity is. This book of 1 Samuel is a book that is all about the topic of integrity. A lot of people are concerned with image, right? Image, how other people perceive them. But in, in the message of, of 1 Samuel, the message of this book is this, that God is not concerned with your image. God is concerned with your reality, right? He's concerned with your heart, the, the root, the core, the reality of who you are before him. That's what he cares most about. This morning here in 1 Samuel chapter 12, what we have is a great text before us which helps us to do something which we all need to do from time to time. This text does that. It gives us the chance and helps us, it leads us to evaluate ourselves before the Lord. That's something that we all need to do from time to time. To evaluate where we're at in our walk with God. To consider the great things that God has done for us and to determine where we're to go from here. So to consider the great things God's done for us, to evaluate where we're at and to determine where we're to go from here. You know, yesterday I sat down with our, our oldest child, Balaj. Uh, he just got a job, you know, a couple weeks ago, and this past week he got paid for the first time. This is a big event in his life. And so we sat down yesterday and we created his very first budget, right? And, uh, you know, by creating a budget, what we're doing there is we're, we're giving him something that is going to help him a lot. Because a budget, right, with that he can clearly see the reality of his situation, right? The reality of costs, the reality of income, where he's really at. And that gives him the opportunity. It's really a a very useful thing. It helps him to set goals for himself and then see how he can actually reach those goals, right? The steps that he can take to reach the things that he wants to reach. You know, it's been said before that, that having a budget is like telling your money what to do and not having a budget is always wondering where your money ran off to right? The truth is that we all need to do that, not just with our money, but even more so with our walk with God. We need to do that same thing. We need to take time every now and then to evaluate, right? To consider where we're at and then to look forward and see where does God want to take us? What are the steps that we need to take in order to get to that place? We need to do that corporately here as a church even. We need to do that as individuals. Otherwise, if we don't do that, if we don't evaluate and then look forward, we're just kind of haphazardly going through life, right? With no perspective on where we're at or how we got here and no vision for how, uh, where we're going or how we're going to get there. The title of today's message is Standing at the Crossroads, Standing at the Crossroads. As we pick up our story that we've been studying over the last couple months, 
here in chapter 12, we are now looking at a very important time of transition in the history of Israel. Really, at this point in their history, the, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, they're standing at a crossroads. They're about to enter into uncharted waters for them. This is uncharted territory. Now, many of us have had experiences like that in life, right? Where those, we have these defining moments in life that determine so much about our future and the, the course and the direction that our life is going to take. You know, sometimes when you have those moments, you don't necessarily realize them at the moment. You might be totally unaware that this is a life-changing moment, like the first time that you met your spouse. Uh, you might not have known that person is going to be my spouse. That's going to change the course of my life. Or if you lost a loved one unexpectedly, right? Other times, uh, you are completely aware that the decision that you're about to make will completely change the course of your life. It will shape your future. Like when you say, I do, or when you decide to have kids, or, or when you take a certain job offer, or when you choose a college, right? Those are watershed moments. They, they define your future. And it's in those times, those defining moments of life, where, when you're standing, we would say, at a crossroads. You're about to step out into uncharted waters. And the question is, what would God say to you and me in those times when we face those kind of situations? That's exactly what we have here in 1 Samuel chapter 12. Samuel the prophet is about to speak to the nation of Israel as they stand at a great crossroads in their history. And he's going to give them a message from the Lord. He's going to give them the word of the Lord for them in that situation. And I believe that as he does that, there's a word for, from God to us in this as well. I believe there's a message that God wants to speak to each and every one of us here today through the message that Samuel spoke to Israel on that day. So for the nation of Israel, the situation they were in was that they had never had a king before. And now they, they are about to officially make the transition from having been completely governed by God to having an earthly king, just like all the other nations around them did. For nearly 500 years, Israel existed as a nation without a human king, without a human ruler or a standing government. The Lord God himself was their king. And from time to time, the Lord would raise up a leader amongst the people to lead the nation in a time of crisis or a time when they were being attacked from the outside. And those leaders were called judges, hence the, the book of Judges. That's what it's all about. But at the end of a time of crisis in which God would raise up a judge, that judge would step down from his position because judges were not kings. They weren't meant to be kings. Their children weren't meant to take over for them. The Lord God himself was to be the king king of this nation. He was to rule over them. Now this was something which was totally and completely unique to the people of Israel. Perhaps uh, they're the only nation who ever had this scenario in all of history, right? Very unique. No other nation was like this. And that was exactly God's design, that this would be something different about these people. That they wouldn't just follow the pattern of the world, what everybody else was doing, but that they would be led by God and governed by God. In fact, did you know that that is what the name Israel means? That's one of the things that you know Israel means. It means governed or ruled over by God. But what we saw in the last couple weeks, in the last few chapters, is this, that Israel, they became dissatisfied with this system of leadership that God had established for them. And they demanded that God give them an earthly king, just like all the other nations had. 
And Samuel, who was judge over Israel at that time, he told the people, this is a bad idea. Don't do this. What you guys are, by doing this, you are rejecting God's established order for you. God made this for you and he wants you to live in it. You guys are rejecting it. He said, don't do it. This is a mistake. This would be a a wrong turn for you guys to take. Don't do it. But the people insisted. They said, no. If this is God's way, then we're tired of doing things God's way. We don't like it. We think it's too hard. You know what? I th- they said, I think those people who have a king, they've got it better than we do. We want to be like them. If we had a king, then everything would be better. And so even though it broke God's heart that the people were rejecting him as king over them, God granted their request. And he appointed a man to be king over them. And the man he chose was named Saul. Saul became the first king of Israel, and they announced him, they ordained him, they, they anointed him as king. They said, this is the man whom God has chosen to be king over Israel, and the people were divided. Some people liked it, some people didn't. There was division in the nation, there was disagreement. But God allowed a crisis to happen, which gave Saul the opportunity to lead well and unite the nation and and bring all the people together and by doing so he won the support of all the people and that brings us up to where we're at right now at the end of chapter 11 the last couple verses which we looked at last week we saw that they they had this re-coronation ceremony because at the first coronation ceremony not everybody was in support of Saul but now that everybody in the nation supports Saul they have another coronation ceremony the official one where everybody's officially on board and everybody is supportive of Saul so they establish the kingdom and it's at this ceremony as the nation stands at this great crossroads about to enter into this new period of their existence which they totally uncharted for them that Samuel the prophet stands up and speaks to the people who are assembled there and gives them the word of the Lord to them on that day for their situation and there are basically two things that Samuel speaks to them about here for you note takers here's your outline in verses 1 through 12 Samuel speaks to them about the big picture In verses 1 through 12, Samuel speaks to them about the big picture. And in verses 13 through 25, Samuel speaks to them about the fork in the road. So first we have the big picture, and then we have the fork in the road. Let's look at the big picture first. Read with me, if you would, from verse 1. Now Samuel said to all of Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice and all that you said to me, and I have made a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you, and I am old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. By demanding a king, the people of Israel had, had essentially rejected God as their king, but they had also rejected the leadership of Samuel over them, because Samuel was the judge over Israel at this time. So here in this speech, what Samuel's doing he's passing the baton he's passing the torch on to Saul verse 3 here I am now witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken or whom have I cheated whom have I oppressed or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which you blind my eyes I will restore it to you and they said you have not cheated us or oppressed us nor have you taken anything from any man's hand Then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. 
Samuel has lived uh, the days of his life in integrity. Remember we talked about that earlier. Samuel has lived in integrity. He's not a man who's just caught up in image. He actually is the real deal. He's got the goods. Now Samuel is passing the torch on to Saul and he wants the people of Israel to know this torch, as he passes it on, it's burning very brightly. He has been a good, godly leader for the people. You know, with, with any form of power or authority, whether in your workplace or, or wherever you might have authority, it comes with temptations. Probably some of you know that. There are things that you can get away with. There are ways that you can manipulate that authority you have over people to, you know, get things in, a, in an underhanded or, you know, not correct way. Samuel says here, though, I never abused my authority. I never took a bribe. I never took anything from anyone. You know, Samuel lived this very extraordinary life where he walked with the Lord and served the Lord from the time he was a, a small child. He walked with the Lord in service to God and in service to people in sincerity and purity of heart all the days of his life. And as this kind of leader, he's a great example for the people of what Saul needs to be as a leader as he steps into that place of leadership. And the point, though, of what he's doing is he's asking the people, have I been always good to you? And they say, yeah, you have. He says, do you trust me? And they say, yes, we trust you. And he's, now he's going to, he's setting them up, basically. He's going to say, okay, if you trust me, then listen to what I have to say to you. Listen to what I have to say to you, because you know that I've always been good to you. He says in verse 6, Samuel said to the people, The Lord raised up Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and your fathers. Samuel's going to give them a history lesson right now. He's going to take them a little bit through their history and show them the, the big picture of where they're at historically and where they're at in their walk with God. He's going to show them how they've come to this place that they're at right now and where they are in the big picture of God's plan for them and in their relationship with God. Verse 8, when Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor in the land of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtaroths. But now deliver us from the hand of your enemies and we will serve you. And the Lord sent Jerobabel, Badan, Jephthah, and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you dwelt in safety. Do you see the pattern here? The pattern is this. Whenever they were in difficulty, they cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard their cry and always saved them. But check this out, verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, this was back in chapter 11, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord God was your king. So he's reminding them of the righteous acts of God on their behalf and he reminds them of their history and how throughout their history they've always kind of had this roller coaster experience in their relationship with God. You know, the kind of up and down thing, right? Whenever there was difficulty though, they would call upon the Lord, they would repent, they would turn back to God and God would hear their prayers, he'd hear their cries to him and God would always answer them. And the people would praise God and they would, you know, be good for a little while. They'd start walking with God. They'd experience blessing as they did that. But then after a while, 
After things were going well, things are kind of comfortable and nice in their life, they had no major problems or crises, their hearts would tend to stray away from God once again. They weren't seeking the Lord anymore like they were when they were in the crisis. They were just kind of started doing their own thing. But then, then something bad would happen again, right? Some difficult circumstance, some crisis. And again, what do they do? They cry out to the Lord. They repent. They get on their knees, right? They make a bunch of promises to God about how this time they're really serious. Yeah, last time, you know, it didn't last. But this time, we're going to go to church every day and we're going to give all our money and we're going to do all these things for you, God. We're going to pray all the time. They make all these promises and they get on their knees again when there's a crisis. And then God would answer their prayers and they'd walk with him for a little while. Not because of the promises that they made to God, but just because of his grace, because he loved them. And they would walk with him for a while and then... Things would calm down in their lives and, well, you know, this is how it went on and on. It was a, a roller coaster, up and down and up and down. But God was always faithful to them. However, despite God's faithfulness to them over all this time, in verse 12, Samuel tells them, but then what happened here? Nahash, in chapter 11, Nahash attacks you guys and rather than calling upon the Lord, you call upon your king. He says, don't you see it? Don't you see what's going on? You're not even calling upon the Lord anymore like you used to. You wanted this king, and now you're looking to this king to save you rather than trusting in God to save you. He said, this is a, a sad state of affairs. Look how far you've come compared to where you used to be at. You guys are not in a good place. And here's the thing that's going on in this section. This is the big idea here. Samuel is giving them the big picture view. He's giving them the big picture view of their walk with God. Here's where you guys are at compared to where you used to be at. In the big picture of what God's doing in your lives. Here's the big picture of what, what God's been doing. This is zooming out, right? Way out and looking at a big chunk of time to give you a, a view of where you're at now compared to where you used to be. Now I wonder about you and I wonder about myself. How would that big picture look? If you were to zoom out, look at a big chunk of time, where are you at compared to where you were, say, five years ago? For the people of Israel, this was very convicting. I mean, Samuel's showing them the big picture view of where they're at. He's letting them evaluate the situation. And it basically reveals, when they zoom out and look at this, that over this whole period of time in which they've walked with God, um, they've kind of just gone in circles. They've kind of gone up and down. They haven't made a lot of progress. There's been a lot of movement, but not a lot of progress. God's always been faithful to them, but they've just been all over the place, right? And now, where they're at today, they're even further from God than they've ever been before, perhaps in the history of the time that they've walked with God. So again, let me ask you, how would that picture look for you? If you were to do the same thing, if you were to zoom out and look at the big picture, you know, there are two different ways of doing photography, right? Uh, I mean, sure, sure, there's more than two, but I want to talk about two. Uh, there's two different ways of doing photography. Uh, some people like to do close-up photography, right? I think that's cool. You know, you get pinpoint stuff, macro lenses, stuff that captures every little wrinkle and every little detail of an object. Now, there's a lot of value in doing that kind of pinpoint analysis of our Christian lives. And personally, I think that that's what we tend to do in the church, is that kind of zooming in, pinpoint analysis on one or two areas of our lives, right? But there's another kind of photography where you take panoramic views, right? Where you zoom out, you, you take the lens way back, wide-angle lens, and you look at the big 
picture. You take it all in. And many times as Christians, uh, you know, we're very aware of how God's shining his spotlight on some certain area or aspect of our lives. But sometimes we need to pull the camera lens back and take a look at what God's been doing over time in the big picture, where we stand in that big picture of time. Now just take the past five years, for example. Take that span of five years until today. How does that picture look for you? How does that big picture look of your walk with God look over the past five years? Some of you might say, well, mine kind of looks like a, you know, a stock market chart, right? Just kind of up and down, that kind of thing. Uh, others of you might, might say, well, you know, looking back at five years, I have to say, wow, praise the Lord. You know, I am at a different place now than I was five years ago, in a good way. I can see that I've grown. Uh, I'm in a much better place with the Lord than I was five years ago. Now, others of you might look at that big picture and you might say, you know, that's actually kind of convicting now, looking back at where I was at five years ago. I mean, I used to be, honestly, a lot more on fire for the Lord than I am right now. Uh, I mean, I, I'm still a believer. I haven't walked away. I'm still committed to Jesus. But five years ago, I mean, honestly, I, I was probably in a better place. You know, maybe it hasn't been a dramatic departure, but, but maybe a slow drift. And, and you can't see it until you take a step back and look at that big picture of where you were and where you are now and where you've been along the way. And you say, wow, that's, that's not exactly what I wanted to see, right? And now as you look at that, you, you feel convicted about it. I mean, think about the two big picture views of walking with God that we get in this section. We get Samuel and the people of Israel, two big picture views. Samuel's able to step back from his life and say, from childhood, I've walked with God. It's been steady. It's been good. And the people say, yeah, that's right. But Israel, right, he says, take a step back, look at you guys. I mean, you guys are all over the place, up and down, going in circles. There's a lot of movement, but there's not really any progress. He said, in fact, there's actually just regression, to be honest. And, and you know, the word of the Lord here in this section for them, and I believe for us as well, is that God wants us to take a moment to step back and look at the big picture of where we're at and what God's been doing in our lives and where we're at in our walk with him. And he wants to say, okay, here's where you're at, here's where you've been, but I do want to take you forward from wherever you're at. Whether that big picture is something positive for you, whether it's something convicting, God says, all right, here's the situation, here's the analysis, but now we need to move forward from here. I believe that God would want us to do something in response to looking at that big picture view of our lives. So now we've looked at the big picture of where they are, how they got there, and now Samuel shifts to looking at the fork in the road. The fork in the road, verses 13 through 25. Verse 13 says, Now therefore, here's the king whom you've chosen, whom you've desired, and take note, the Lord has set a king over you. Samuel's basically laying it out for the people, right? They chose the wrong path. They were standing at a fork in the road. They could have gone this way or they could have gone that way and they chose the wrong fork, right? It was the wrong thing to do. It was a bad choice to demand that God give them a king. He told them, don't do it. They did it anyway. But here he tells them this very important message. He says, nevertheless, if you will choose to fear the Lord and serve him today, God will bless you. Check out verse 14. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against him, 
against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but do rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. So he's laying it out there for him. He's saying, look, you guys made the wrong choice. You took the wrong fork in the road, but nevertheless, if you will choose today to fear the Lord and serve him, then God will bless you, even in this situation that you've gotten yourselves into. I think Samuel is saying something that's important for all of us to hear, right? And that, that's an important message, and that is this, that one wrong turn doesn't put you out of God's plan forever. One wrong turn doesn't put you out of God's plan forever. Israel could have very well felt that way. Wow, we wanted a king, but we shouldn't have wanted a king but we did, and we, we demanded it, we insisted, and, and God gave us a king even though it, it wasn't good, and, and I guess we messed up. You know, we went off track, and now I guess we're out of God's will. We've gone off track, and we've blown it. The fact was, that's right, Israel should not have chosen, they shouldn't have sought out a human king, but the fact is that now they have one. That's the reality. You know, Samuel simply says, here's what I want you to do. You can't do anything about yesterday, so here's what I want you to do. Where you're at right now, I want you to serve God where you're at right now. Now maybe there are some of you who feel similar to the way Israel did, right? You're looking back at something you did five years ago or five months ago, and you're thinking, man, that was a fork in the road, and I took the wrong fork. I took the wrong way. I I made a wrong turn. I messed up. I veered off of God's path. I chose the wrong way. But the Lord would tell you this, what's past is past. Yeah, you made the wrong choice in the past, but if you will serve me now, today, where you're at, then I will bless you. Instead of agonizing over the past, the the message is get right with God today. Do what it says here in verse 14. Fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. If you do that, then God will bring good even out of yesterday's wrong turn. The point is, no matter what bad choices you've made in the past, today you stand again at another fork in the road. God places a new fork in the road before you today. On the one side is submission and obedience to God that leads to blessing. On the other side is rebellion and disobedience in which you bring a curse upon yourself. And God says, choose the right path today. Be urgent about getting right with God. Verse 16 uh, says this, Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord and he will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for a king for yourselves. So Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So just to press home this point even further, Samuel prays that God will send a, a sign for the people. You know, harvest time in, in that part of the world is a dry period. Uh, and in fact, during the, rain, during the harvest time, rain can actually ruin the crop. So this rainstorm appears out of nowhere when Samuel begins to pray for it. And, and this is kind of a warning. This is kind of a wake-up call. It's a warning of judgment that if they don't heed God's message to them today through the prophet Samuel, that God's saying, pay attention here, this is important. It was a wake-up call. He's saying, get serious about following God. And it seemed like it worked. Check out their response in verse 19. All the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. 
The people say, okay, Samuel, we get it. We get it, right? We see it now. We did the wrong thing by rejecting God's plan for us and demanding a king. But what can we do now? It's too late. It's already done. Verse 20, Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. First of all, notice that Samuel doesn't diminish the the, the fact that they sinned, right? He doesn't diminish it. He actually takes it very seriously. He doesn't tell them, ah, you know, it ain't no thing. You know, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. He tells them, yeah, finally, you guys see that what you did was wrong. It was sin. It was terrible, right? But secondly, he speaks to them words of grace. He doesn't want them to just dwell in the past, in the sins of their past. Instead, he wants them to get serious and follow the Lord today. You know, maybe at some point in your life, whether it was a long time ago or, or a short time ago, you went down the wrong path. You made bad decisions. And, and you wonder now, did, did I mess it up forever? Is it just ruined? And the answer is no. The answer from God's word is that God's mercies are new every morning. The question is, what are you going to do today? What are you going to do today? You've got a fork in the road before you this day as every day. The question is, which path will you choose? You know, a lot of people spend time, they spend the majority of their time living in the past. They're living in their past. They're nostalgic perhaps about the good old days, right? When, when everything was awesome. Or, or they're, they're tormented by their past, right? From their past pain or their past sins or mistakes, other people, they're always living in the future, right? Someday, I'm going to do this. One day, when this happens, then everything will be right. Everything will be better. Someday, I'll make a decision to get right with the Lord. Someday, I'll make a decision to follow Jesus with my whole heart. But God would say, just like he said to the people of Israel, the past is past, and tomorrow will never come because it will always be today. But right now, today, I set before you two paths. Choose today which one you will go down. Verse 21. And do not turn aside, from, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. You know, what God was teaching the people of Israel is an important lesson for all of us to learn. And that is that whenever we turn from God and, and seek out other things to fulfill us, uh, we're, we're always going to find ourselves empty. Those things will never satisfy, they'll never fulfill, and they won't deliver. They'll leave us empty. Just like in the Gospel of John, maybe you remember that Simon Peter, he says to Jesus, you know, Lord, to whom else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Now this is, this is incredible. He says it pleased the Lord to make you his people. It makes God happy that you are his. He says, I take pleasure in you and I won't forsake you. You know why? Because I love you. You know, it's easy for us to look at the, the people of Israel. I mean, I think God chose them perhaps because they were such a difficult, obstinate people, right? It's easy for us to look at them and say, Really? Like, these guys? These are your chosen people? God, are you sure? I mean, I think you could probably do better. I mean, they're not very cooperative. And, and look at the big picture. We just looked at it, right? It, it's pretty much just a mess. They're unfaithful. They're difficult to work with. 
why, God? Why do you persist with these people? Why not just scrap them and, and try somebody else? I mean, the parasites, what about them? They got a cool name, and anybody can be better than Israelites. I mean, look at these guys. But, but God said, no, 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 I'm not going to give up on these people. I'm not going to give up on you. You know why? Because I love you too much. That's basically what he says. I love you too much to give up on you. He says, I'm going to give you new mercies every morning. I'm going to give you a new chance, a new fork in the road every day. And the only explanation for why God would do that is that he really, truly, honestly, just flat out loves them, right? And that the same is true of you. The, the only way to make sense of the, God's faithfulness and God's mercy and God's grace towards you is to understand that he simply, basically loves you. Verse 23, moreover, as for me, this is Samuel speaking, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you in the good and the right way. Samuel, as he's giving this speech, I mean, basically, he is stepping down from the place of prominent national leadership. He's letting go of his position as a leader. He, he's passing the baton. You know, Samuel is the one whom God had appointed to lead the people as their judge, and he pointed out to them at the beginning of the chapter that he did a good job leading them. But yet, they rejected him, right? They said, we don't want you to lead us. We want a king. You know, we want someone with pomp and prestige, someone who looks the part. And, you know, in a way, that, that could be very hurtful for a person. I'm sure, you know, obviously we do read, uh, I think it's back in chapter 8, that Samuel was hurt when the people rejected him. And you, you could imagine that Samuel, as a man, he could have said, you know what, fine. You guys want Saul? Then you can have Saul. You want somebody to pray for you? Well, the, here's Saul. He can pray for you. You know, you guys saw how I pray for you. I make rain clouds show up out of nowhere. Saul, he doesn't even know how to pray. He never prayed a day in his life. He's, I used to live in the temple, man. I know how to pray. But I'm not praying for you anymore. You don't want me? Then you can have Saul. No, he doesn't do that. He says, you know what? It would be a sin for me to stop praying for you. You know, he says, as a leader of God's people, it would be a sin for me to stop praying for you. And let me tell you this, wherever God has given you a place of leadership, everybody has a sphere of influence, right? Whether it's in your family or in your workplace, whatever sphere of influence God has given you, make sure that you're praying for those people. God has put those people under you for a reason, for a purpose. And notice this, he doesn't only promise to pray for them, he also promises to teach them. Samuel's going to continue in his role as spiritual leader, even though he's passing on the torch of national leadership to Saul. We'll finish the chapter here in verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So here they are, they're standing at the crossroads. They're about to enter into uncharted waters. And, and here is Samuel, and here's his advice to the people for how to stay on the right path. His advice is this, consider the great things that God has done for you. Consider the great things that God has done for you. If you will consider the great things that God has done for you, then you will serve him. It will happen naturally, and you will serve him gladly. You know, all of our service and obedience, anything that we do for God, it all flows out of this. We do things for God because of the great things he has done for us. We don't do things for God in order to persuade him to do things for us. No, we look at the things he has done for us and we respond in worship. We respond in service. We respond in generosity and giving. 
You know, the only way to keep the right perspective is to consider the great things that God has done for you. You remember back to the first part of the speech, right? That's how Samuel began it. He said, here's the big picture. Here are all the things that God has done for you. Here's how he has cared for you. That's what it's all about. It's not about what we do for him. It's about what he has done for us, and we respond to that. You know, many of us, what, what we tend to do, right, is we tend to magnify our problems to the point where we lose sight of the great things that God has done for us. And that's why as Christians, it's so important that we constantly return our gaze to the cross of Jesus Christ. The ultimate expression of God's love for us, the ultimate act of sacrificial love, the place of redemption, the place of life. That's why we take communion here every week because it's a chance for us to return our gaze to the cross of Jesus Christ and consider the great things that he has done for us. And it's only as we do that, as we keep that perspective that focus on the great things that God has done for us, that we're able to stand at the crossroads each day at that fork in the road and say, today again, I will follow the Lord. I will choose his path because I know without a doubt that he loves me and his plan for my life is the best. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, even this morning, we come to you realizing that Even today, we're faced with a crossroads, Lord. We're faced with a a fork in the road. And Lord, we wanna look at the big picture of where you've brought us. And we wanna say, today will be a day when I choose to follow the Lord. Lord, I pray for anybody here today who's been convicted, looking at that big picture, considering where they've been over the last several years in their walk with you and, and what that's looked like, what that big picture is like. As we consider your faithfulness and the things you've done for us, but Lord, we consider where we're at in regard to you. Lord, I pray for all those here today who are convicted looking at that. I pray that Although we can't do anything about yesterday, Lord, we have a chance today and I pray that today each and every one of us would choose Jesus Christ. We would choose that path of following Jesus today. Lord, let today be a day of decision. And Lord, each and every day, help us to keep our eyes not on just our problems and the things of this world, but help us to turn our eyes to Jesus Christ, to see the great things that you have done for us, the great love that you have for us. And Lord, that that would move us each and every day to choose to follow you. We dedicate this time to you, Lord, as we sing this last song of worship. We, we, we wanna sing it from our hearts and, and say with our hearts, Lord, we choose you today.